0: The reading today is Romans chapter 7, verse 18 to 25. And if you have a copy of the Bible, um, you can follow along. Um, the, word, the Lord is honored when we stand as we read his word. His word says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. But I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sins that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at a hand. That's the word of God. You may be seated. His job it was to cart away deceased inmates for burial in the plots just beyond... The prison confines. He was old and he moved slowly as his eyesight was badly impaired by cataracts. She approached him one day to bribe him and to help in her escape. Her plan was simple. When the death bell toiled, heralding the death of another inmate, she would make her way to the morgue and climb into the coffin with the deceased. He, the gravedigger, would then wheel the coffin to the plot, bury it in a shallow grave, then come back after dark to release her. All this in exchange for the money to have the cataract surgery to restore his sight. The old man agreed, and together they waited for their opportunity. Time passed when suddenly the woman heard the death toll. To her ears, it was the sound of freedom bells chiming. The scheme was just as planned. She waited an appropriate amount of time, slinked her way into the basement and slipped quietly into the morgue. She felt her way through the dark room to the coffin laid out in the cart, opening the lid. She crawled inside and pulled the lid shut. Soon she felt the cart moving, she could almost taste her freedom. Moments later she felt the the thud as the coffin was lowered in the ground. She heard the dirt as it hit the lid, then silence. She waited in anticipation. Minutes turned to hours with no relief. Panicked, she struck a match. Surveying the situation to utter horror, she discovered that she was face to face with the grave digger. Church Hitchcock's murderous inmate had foolishly placed her life in the hands of an unreliable deliverer, one with no more power over the grave than she. My question to you this morning is this. What or who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in to, live, to deliver you from this body of death that we see in this passage? Are you trusting in the law like the wretched man that we see here in this passage? Or have you run to Christ, the only one who can set you free? My hope and prayer this morning is that you will make sure that when you strike your match, as the murderous lady did in the coffin, that your deliverer isn't in the grave with you, but instead the Lord Jesus is with you, ruling and reigning with nothing but freedom and power to passionately pursue God's glory. Notice the theme of the message. Living under the law will always lead to death because of sin. But running the Christ will always bring life because of the gospel. The first thing we need to consider while coming to this text is that this wretched man here in verse 24 is not a Christian. I think Pastor Chris did a great job over the past few weeks defending the position that this text actually, Romans 7 as a whole, is not about a Christian who's battling sin, but instead is about a Jew who's living under the law. So to be clear, Paul doesn't have in mind a believer, but also he isn't speaking of an average lost person. No, this text is referring to a person who's trusting in the Mosaic law to deliver them, and to help them grow in holiness. They are like our murderous woman who's seeking freedom but placed her trust in the wrong person to help set her free. Just like the gravedigger's purpose was never to help people escape prison, the law's purpose was never to deliver us from death, but instead it was designed by God to show us our sin in our need for Christ. Could it be too late for the lady in the grave? Possibly. The tomb shut. She's in the ground, trapped, waiting for death. But the good news today is it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. If you are here today, or you're watching live, and you are trusting in your good works to save you, to transform you, or using them to hoping God will finally approve of you, but you find yourself like a wretched man, in bondage to sin, in repetitive conflict, in constant defeat, today could be the day. Today can be the day where the only one who can deliver you, Christ, can come to your rescue. Living under a law will always lead to death because of sin. But running to Christ will always bring life because of the gospel. So the first point of today's sermon is this wretched man is a slave under the law. This wretched man's a slave under the law. Notice verses 18, 20, and 25. 18 says... For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the ability, the desire, I'm sorry, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 20 says, Now if I do what I don't want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And then we come to 25. Verse 25, I myself serve. The law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So that word serve here in verse 25, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin in the original language. It's the same word for slavery. This word serve that we read in chapter six. That this this man under the law is saying, It's not that I'm a willing servant to sin. Right? But I'm a slave. I'm a slave to the law of sin. So in these three verses, we see Paul explaining the life of this wretched man who is living a life under the law. Verse 18, he is saying that there's nothing good in me in the realm of my flesh. There's nothing good in me in the realm of my flesh. That's all he has though, right? The flesh. Last week, verse 14 reminded us What type of person or group Paul is referring to here. In verse 14, Paul states, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So of course he would say, nothing good dwells in my flesh. That's all he has. He's not a spirit-indwelled Christian. Some people are tempted to get caught up in these words of the flesh, as if Paul is focusing on a distinction here of his true self in the flesh. No, this person in Romans 7 is in the flesh the whole time. As we just saw, he is of the flesh, sold under sin. And that's what Romans 7 is talking about. Not someone who has the spirit and flesh and they're battling it out. There's two natures here, the old man and the new man going to war, right? Battling it out. But instead, this is someone under the law who is without the spirit. Another way we know this is that the Holy Spirit is not used once in this text. Not used once. We only see Paul mention him once, and that's in verse 6. Actually, from verse 7 all the way through chapter 7, we see no mention of the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this battle. In Romans 8, Holy Spirit's referred to over 20 times. Over 20 times we see that but because that's when Paul gives us a description of how we battle sin as a Christian. And Julius did a great job this, this morning at Sunday school explaining this. But here in chapter 7, we are confronted with a man in the flesh having a desire to follow the law but not the ability to carry it out. He, he's doing what he doesn't want to do and although in his mind he wants to serve the law in his flesh, in his body, with this sinful nature, he is as... Verse 25 says, a slave is a servant of sin. The writer of the famous Christian book, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, when referring to the struggle here as a slave to the law of God, he once wrote, run, John, and work the law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hands. Church, the truth is, I myself can totally identify with this life of religious bondage. These words, Bunyan wrote, appear to come from my old journal when I was living as a legalist, a self-righteous false convert, where I was this this man have a desire to, to do right, but not the ability to carry it out. I was this wretched man appearing righteous on the outside, but in my soul, I was screaming, wretched man that I am. Is there anyone who could deliver me? I was going to church. I was reading the Bible. Not as a natural response to love God and love others with a new heart, but because it was my goal to turn my life around, to show my family and everyone around me that I was a good person I was a changed man. I literally, <laughs> I had a piece of paper that I carried around with me that that had stuff like I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to swear, I'm not going to womanize, don't judge. I was living under the law. And I'll tell you what, it produced nothing but slavery to sin. A life of hypocrisy and depression. For years I was lost with no interest in religion. Prior to that, Right? But then I was lost here as a religious person for years trying to follow God's law. But as chapter 7, verse 5 says, I was living in the flesh, aroused by the law through my sinful passions. In church it produced nothing but destruction, self-destruction and self-loathing. And when I did deceive myself... By thinking, maybe I'm following it, right? I deceived myself to thinking, I'm following the law, I'm doing good. It didn't bring humility in my life, but it brought pride. I was like the Pharisee Jesus talked about in the parable, who trusted in himself, standing before God's presence, saying, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people, these other sinners. You know, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see the Pride. This is the resume guy. I know my teen, the teens in my Sunday school know about this guy. I like to refer to him often. The guy that's like, look at my resume. I'm a righteous man. That's nothing but pride. That's living in the flesh outside the grace of God. And that's all living as a slave under the law brings. Either pride or self, self-loathing. Maybe some of you guys can relate to this. You changed your t-shirts from riding with the devil to Jesus as Lord. But that body of death is underneath it, right? You can't hide it. Jesus described it this way. You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Maybe for the most part you stop mistreating others, but deep down inside there's still this immense anger and resentment living inside of you. There's no real acts of kindness. Maybe you're like I was, no longer living in open rebellion, but in your mind, you're a slave to lustful thoughts. Behind closed doors, you're a desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Not the ability to carry it out. If this is you, whether a Christian or a non-Christian Whatever T-shirt you're wearing, I encourage you to ask God to change your heart. Ask God to change your heart instead of your outer garment. Call upon the name of the Lord. Forsake trying to earn God's love. For our God already provided freedom from slavery. Amen? And He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, and promised the world that whoever trusts in Him, His finished work on the cross will not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life with Holy Spirit power to love God and love others. How does Apostle Paul describe this free man in Christ in Romans 8, 1 through 4? There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh would not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And notice the next words, in order that, in order that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now that's a contrast, amen? Christian freedom as opposed to religious slavery. As our point indicates, this wretched man and anyone who's trying to please God by following rules instead of walking in the Spirit, standing in Christ, is a slave under the law. Consider the next point of the sermon. The next point of the sermon is this wretched man is a double-minded man under the law. He's a double-minded man. Notice verse 19 through 20. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is a continuation of Paul describing the double-minded man who's a slave under the law. For we learned last week in, in verse 15, for I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. You see that? So Paul's describing a man who is in constant conflict with his moral decisions. There's a part of a religious man who sees the law. He sees the law. He sees it in his mind and wants to follow it, but he ends up doing the exact opposite. This is someone who lives a hypocritical life. Notice Paul isn't describing someone who is sometimes like this, right? That's not what he's saying. That it's sometimes double-minded. As if this was a Christian having a bad day or something, right? Going against his conscience. No. In verse 19, he says, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. It's what I keep on doing. This is translated in the New King James Version and also the NASB as practicing. Just another way of saying I keep on doing it. I practice evil. I want to do good. But then again, I'm a slave to sin. I have no power. I have no ability to do what I want to do. So I live a life of practicing sin, practicing evil. Again, this flows from the reality of him being a slave to the law. This is what this man's life looks like. He's an evil practicing wretched man. Again, he's under a law. He knows what's right. And what's wrong? He has the law of God standing before him. He knows he does nothing. He, he does nothing but fall short of God's glory, God's glorious standard, holy standard. He can make a judgment call like that, right? He's got the word of God staring right back at him. I practice evil. Do you think this double man could relate to what God says about all mankind? including self-righteous religious people, in chapter 3. You guys remember Romans chapter 3? He isn't righteous. He doesn't truly understand God's law. He doesn't seek for God the way God commands. He cannot do good. This wretched man is a double-minded man under the law. Now let's think about this. Could this be a Christian? Could this be a Christian here? Or a better way to ask is, Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? You guys remember the words after that? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Also the book of James, this man who's double-minded, who prays one foot in and one foot out, also unstable in all his ways, he's like a wave of the sea, James says, that's driven and tossed by wind. A person who practices evil, practices evil, and all the Bible, is not a Christian. John the Beloved. John the Beloved has something also to say about this. 1 John says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Or how about our Apostle Paul, this time speaking to the Jewish leaders in Galatia who's trying to, they're trying to bring the law of Moses into the Christian life as a way to be justified and sanctified. Paul boldly proclaims, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, we as Christians are not Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, two opposing personalities living in us. No, we have died to the old self, and now we have Christ living in us. Those in the flesh, living under the law, have a different heart, though. We all know what it feels like. All of us. For we were once in that realm. Right? They scream out, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? I see the law in my eyes. I see the law with my eyes. I hear the law with my ears. I speak the law with my mouth, but I cannot live the law. Why? This double-minded slave under the law has no power. No power for victory. Notice the third point of the sermon. This wretched man has no victory under the law. Notice verses 21 through 23. I find it, so I find it to be a law that when I do, when I want to do what's right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Church, this is war language. And we as Christians can relate to this type of fight in our Christian life. I mean, what Christian can't say, When I'm walking with the Lord, I see evil all around me. How many Christians can't say in my inner being I delight in the law of God? Not many, right? Not many. This is common for us as well, to wage war against sin. But look, take a look here at verse 23. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and then notice that next part, making me captive... To the law of sin. This is slave language. Again, Christians are no longer slaves to sin. What did we learn in the previous weeks from Romans? Romans 6, 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And then 6.14, Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. And then in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 7, Paul reiterates this glorious truth. For while we're living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, to bear fruit for death. But now, I love those words. It's kind of like, but God in Ephesians. But now, we are released from the law, having died to which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Church, we are no longer captives to sin. We are free. We are in a war. Make no mistake about it. We are in a war. But here's the thing. We have everything we need to defeat the enemy, right? We have everything we need. We have the armor of God that we read about in Ephesians 6. Standing strong in the Lord Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. The Word of God written on our hearts. There's a new covenant promise a clean conscience, as our sins have been washed away, put out of God's mind forever. Praise the Lord. Oh, that's so awesome. For those who haven't seen pastor sermons or Sunday school lessons the past few weeks, maybe you're coming into Romans 7 this morning for the first time with us, and I ask you to please don't misunderstand me. In my attempt to show you the Bible teaches a radically different realm of spiritual, there's a radically different uh, view of the uh, spiritual realm that Christians are in between those who are compared to those under the law. I'm not denying, nor is Pastor Chris denying, the reality of spiritual warfare in the Christian life. I believe the Bible teaches our becoming more and more like Christ is not a, a let go and let God type of thing. It is more like Paul says in, in Philippians. Work out, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God working it out in you. We fight, church, we fight for holiness. No doubt we go to war with sin. Romans 8.13, one of our memory verses though, says this, For if you live according to the flesh, what happens? You die. This is referring to that wretched man in our text. Outside the saving work of Christ. But then he says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Promises of God. So we're at war. Make no mistake about it. But we do not have to lose our battles. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are not like the man under the law in our text, held as as a captive, having a plan to carry out a strategy battle, right? But with no soldiers around. No weapons to bring with them. No, we endure to the end as Christians. But like any boxer, right? We lose rounds. We lose rounds. And we get cut. Punched in the face. But as we grow in maturity, our losing rounds, they're less. We come home after the fight. Instead of going to the hospital. <laughs> We're not defeated, church, over and over and over again. We are not like the L.A. Dodgers <laughs> during the playoff time, no matter how, many, how great their seasons are during the year, they just can't get, that, get to that World Series. They can't get that victory. As Paul says to the church in Corinth, we are hunting down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, But we are not destroyed. Oh, do do I encourage everyone to continue to join us in the next few weeks as Pastor Chris explains how glorious the spirit-filled, victorious life is in Romans 8. Powerful passages coming up. But for those who are in the flesh under the law, there's no victory. Make no mistake about it, church. It isn't the law that's the problem. All right, we've learned that. It's our sin. No matter how glorious the law is, we can't get victory through it. It would be like uh, Novak Djokovic, the best tennis player in the world, ranked number one, taking a challenge to play with a handicap against an amateur tennis player. He's overly confident that whatever the handicap is, it it won't affect his game. But he shows up to find out this huge hole in the middle of his racket they give him. I guess the joke was on Djokovic, right? He figures, I can do this, it doesn't matter. Maybe I can use the outside part or maybe to learn to, to, to use it in a different way. But this guy, this guy's no match for me. It doesn't matter what kind of racket I have. Sure, the racket's broken, but the greatest, I'm the greatest, greatest player on the planet. But the thing is, as good as he is, he had no hope. He was dominated by this amateur because this racket was broken. It was too much of a handicap for him. This is the man under the law. The law is holy, right? But like the racket, the sinner, the sinner's soul is broken without Christ. This wretched man is far from free. He is in bondage to his sin. He's a slave with no rights and no power no power, no ability to do what he wants. Now to the last point of the sermon. We have learned so far that this wretched man is a slave under the law. This wretched man is a divided man under the law. He has no power for victory. But we come to our last point here with darkness hovering over us, right? From the chilling illustration of the murderous woman stuck in the tomb because she trusted the wrong person, three points that described hopeless conditions of millions of people, millions of people, who are caught up in this works righteousness religion. Religions who, they just, they're, they're, these people that are caught up in these religions are just trusting in themselves, trusting in whether it's the sacraments, rather it's the rituals, whatever it is. So many. Millions. But in this darkness shines the light of the gospel. Our fourth point states, this wretched man finally found freedom from the law. If my 11th month old son, Jeremiah, who's in distress crying on the top of his lungs at times because his teeth are growing through his gums. Can't find any relief, right? And he finds comfort in the arms of his mommy as as she consoles him in the moment. How much more peace does this hopeless, self-righteous, wretched man experience when he runs in the arms of the one who made him, who spoke life into his heart, and who saved him from his sins, who has now given him the power to live free. Please notice uh, verse 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember Bunyan's quote, John Bunyan that I said earlier. How he uh, said, run, John, run. The law commands, but it doesn't give me feet or hands. Well, following that, he said, far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Amen? Amen? Remember the theme of the sermon? Living under the law will always bring death. Always lead to death because of sin. But running to Christ will always bring life because of the gospel. Hitchcock's murderous woman chose an old blind gravedigger to be the source of her freedom. And it led her to suffering. The gravediggers, he, he wasn't hired for the living to escape right from prison. That wasn't his purpose, his job. As I said earlier, the grave digger had a purpose, and it was to bring the dead to the burial plot. The law's purpose was to bring us to Christ. She misused his duty. And the truth is, we misuse the law when we use it to justify us, to sanctify us. She lies in her grave now waiting for her demise, and so is the person trusting in the law to sanctify them. Nothing but misery and torment lies ahead. If that's you trusting in your own good works. The only hope that she has, maybe, if somebody comes by, right, walks by that very spot where she is, while she's screaming for her life, there's still hope for her, maybe. And like I said earlier, there's still hope for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 says, He himself, Meaning Jesus bore our sins in His body on this tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we are healed. For you were straying like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Church, when, when we come to Christ, we are united to the one who the whole Old Testament talks about, Right? The whole Old Testament pointing to Him. All 613 laws, plus the 10 moral laws, find their home and resting place in Christ. He is the fulfillment of the law. Apostle Paul, speaking about those under the law in Romans 10, says it this way. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. is Jewish brethren who, uh, who are under law is that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God we just saw that right in our passage that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Adam Clark, commenting on this passage in Romans 10, says, quote, where the law ends, Christ begins. The law ends with representative sacrifices. Christ begins with the real offering. The law is our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It cannot save but it leaves us at his door where alone salvation is to be found. Remember the text in Romans 8, church, that I brought up earlier? The results of this new freedom in Christ, specifically that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. How can we not also think of Romans 6, this glorious passage in Romans 6, 8-11. through 11. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ. Now for the so what part of the message, right? So what? You got all this glorious truth, so what? What does this mean for me? Why is this good news that living under the law will always lead to death because of sin, but running to Christ will always bring life because of the gospel? Because now, church, as Christians, we can truly glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We have a new law. We have a new law. We're under a new covenant. We're under the law of Christ. The law of love. The law of freedom to serve God with our hearts, our soul, our mind, and our strength. I love how author and pastor Blake White defines law of Christ. He says, quote, The law of Christ is a principle of burden-bearing, self-giving, rights-renouncing, others-oriented love. Principle of burden-bearing, self-giving, rights-renouncing, others-oriented love. Sounds like somebody we know, right? Jesus Christ. It's the life he lived. And we're supposed to be followers of Christ. Amen? Amen? Church, God's purpose was to use the law of Moses to make you into this wretched man so you can cry out for the Messiah, Jesus, to deliver you. But to what? Deliver you to what? To a relationship with Christ, resulting in loving God and loving others by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like the hymn says, Free from the law, O happy condition, Jesus hath bled, there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, grace hath redeemed us once and for all. Children of God, O glorious calling, surely his grace will keep us from falling. Passing from death to life at his call, blessed salvation once and for all. So in closing, church, in regards to the Great Commission, This is our call, right? The Great Commission. Go out and make disciples. We have millions of people in the world, thousands of people in Bensonhurst, who who alone, who are like this, this wretched man, trusting in the religious rituals to save them and change them. The next time you see a devout Jewish man or a zealous Muslim or a practicing Catholic... Right? Consider their spiritual deadness. Consider the murderous lady. Like her, they are lighting that candle, right? They're looking around for freedom. We have been freed as a church to proclaim that freedom. To proclaim that this can be yours, right? To proclaim to the world this freedom can be yours in Christ. So, listen closely to to, to the world of religious people under the law, suffering, crying out. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We need to shout from the rooftops. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for your word, Lord God. We, we thank you so much for giving us your word today. We thank you, God, that although we are tempted to get back into that works righteousness uh, lifestyle, and we thank you that you can remind us that we don't have to, that we died to the law, that we have been united to you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray that you will help us not listen to the lies, not listen to the lies of the world, to the de- from the devil, from ourself. Help us, God. Help us not just say amen to this passage, but to live it out. And help us love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. And help us love our neighbor as ourself, God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please stand with us as we sing the last song. Hallelujah.